In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On the 23rd of April, 1910, President Theodore Roosevelt delivered his famous Citizenship in a Republic speech at the Sorbonne in Paris. In this speech, it's often quoted by many later presidents, it attained its fame because of Roosevelt's masterful contrast between the athlete, the man in the arena, and the critical onlooker. And so he says, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. The readings proposed for our consideration by Holy Mother Church today in the Mass all seem to be re-echoing a similar theme. There is a strict juxtaposition between the just man and the sinner, the one who places his hope in God, and the one who relies on worldly strength. And on the surface, these passages could seem to be concerned with a merely superficial quality, with economic position, with hunger, prestige. But the sacred authors, Jeremiah, Luke, and the psalmist, are setting up before us two separate figures for study. One may be rich and the other poor, but their social and economic statuses are really allegories for their spiritual position. The rich man, the sinner, is the one who does not have hope in God, who trusts in himself, in the goods and strength of the world, in innovation, in modern man, the man who judges others by the standards of the world, who does not see past the superficial, who exist on a purely physical plane. And then there is the righteous man who knows his faults, who trusts not in his own ability but in God, who puts everything on the line for God, who is not worrisome about his next meal because he knows that God will provide. He is the man in the arena who fights valiantly, knowing he comes up short, whose hope is in the Lord. And Jeremiah isn't dishonest. The just man is not free from the burden of troubles. But the difference is that the man of God is the one who does not fear the sufferings of his life. Jeremiah writes, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted beside the waters that stretches out its roots to the stream. It fears not the heat when it comes. Its leaves stay green. In the year of drought, it shows no distress, but still bears fruit. It fears not the heat when it comes. Jeremiah knows that the one who remains faithful to God will still face troubles. This isn't a prosperity gospel. In Christian terms, there is no resurrection without the cross. Christianity and suffering go hand in hand. But the one who places their hope entirely in God has nothing to fear. 
does not fear the heat when it comes, but keeps trust in the Lord their God. In the year of drought, it shows no distress, but still bears fruit. In other words, the one who has hope in God can face distress, darkness, a feeling of distance from the Lord, and yet still bear fruit. They can even fall, like the man in the arena, but their fall is not fruitless. As St. Paul teaches us, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain. Yes, in vain. Our falls, our failings are without fruit, without Christ. And likewise, our efforts are without fruit, without Christ. And so ultimately, there is no real purpose in attempting to do anything in this life without first abandoning it entirely to God. Without that, our effort is fruitless. But the fear of total abandonment to God in today's time makes it more and more difficult. You see, in former times when physical poverty was an even more common reality, when the average person had to fear deadly sickness and war and hunger, it was easier to abandon entirely to God, to trust in him fully. There really wasn't another way. And this is why our Lord phrases his first beatitude the way he does. Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. Not will be yours. Is. This is the present reality. Those who are not tied to the things of this world and to the world, what the world provides already belong to God's kingdom because they trust in him to provide. But in today's world, this is very difficult. Most people don't have the experience of physical poverty. And I don't deny that even in this very city, there is terrible poverty. But this is not the experience of the average person. Most people have their iPhones and easy access to food, to technology, to warmth, etc., etc., etc. We don't fill the pool to rely on someone else because we seem to be self-sufficient. And thus, when speaking about abandoning ourselves to God, it seems impossible because we already have everything that we need. We see God's call as asking us to divest ourselves entirely. We are the rich young man who went away sad because he had many things. And to today's world, the possibility of abandoning ourselves totally to God seems like giving up our grip on things. We're not willing to put things in the line because we don't know how we could survive without them. And I'm not speaking here of a simple material wealth, and hopefully you get that point, but when we, ha- we have trouble relying entirely on God because we don't see the payout. We're afraid to act because we don't know if he's going to support us. In the end, we don't abandon ourselves to God because we have more trust in ourselves than in him. And so the heat comes, the drought bears down on us, and we shrivel up because our roots didn't go anywhere. We didn't drink deeply of the wealth of God's life-giving spring. And from my perspective, the worst problem with Christians today is that we see the battle in the arena, we see the blood and the sweat, we see the dirty faces, and then we find it far more profitable to just sit in the stands and be the critic and not really fight at all, because at least we're safe, or so we think. And so we see the flow of politics in this nation, and we know it's a hard-fought fight, and so we agree to just stay silent. Or we see our friends or our family members living an unchristian lifestyle, and we know that it's a point of contention. 
and so we just put up the smiling face when they're around. We feel the tug of God to make some great decision or to do some work for him, but we know it's going to cost us our time and our, our effort. It's going to be a sacrifice, and at least if we wait, we're not really telling him no, so it's just better that we say we're feeling things out before deciding. You see it in the church with priests today, priests who look around and see people not really in any, living any sort of Catholic life, not going to the sacraments, not upholding church teaching, and yet some priests are far more ready to just run a good business than to put themselves in the line for the sake of bringing people to Christ, who sacrifice their very identity as priests, as ministers of the Lord, because it's a hard-fought fight, and so they'd rather not risk losing. Because in the end, it's all really just the same. We are the critic, and not the man who's actually in the arena where it counts, where battles lost mean lessons learned, and where battles won mean the prize. We forget that all of us in our baptism had that rich spring of God poured into each of our hearts, the Holy Spirit, that's the promise of the opening prayer of today's Mass. O oh God, who teach us that you abide in hearts that are just and true. In all of these questions and battles, if we just remembered that, if we just remembered that God already put himself in there with us, we just have to call upon him. That there's nothing we can risk or sacrifice in this life which will put that, that indwelling of the Spirit within us, on the line. That we already have the prize and that everything else is straw. It all goes back to the garden. God gave our first parents literally everything, the whole of creation, the whole world, and it wasn't enough. They had to taste the one thing that God told them wasn't good for them, because that's always the enemy's claim, that we can't trust God, that if we put everything on the line for God, put it all in his hands, that he will ruin it for us and throw it away, that we will starve, that it won't be enough, that God won't provide. But the truth is that without God, all is vain. Nothing has value. Nothing. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And so I'll give him the last word from St. Matthew's Gospel. Take no thought of saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or with what shall we be clothed? Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be given to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.